my message this morning, I'm going to be reading from 2 Kings 2, 8 to 14 from the New Living Translation. It goes like this. Then Elijah folded his cloak together and struck the water with it. The river divided and the two of them went across on dry ground. When they came to the other side, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken away. And Elisha replied, please let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah replied. If you see me when I'm taken away from you, then you will get your request. But if not, then you won't. As they were walking along and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared drawn by horses of fire. It drove between the two men, separating them. And Elijah was carried by a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha saw it and cried out, My father, my father, I see the chariots and the charioteers of Israel. And as they disappeared from sight, Elisha tore his clothes in distress. Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak, which had fallen when he was taken up. Then Elisha returned to the bank of the Jordan River. He struck the water with Elijah's cloak and cried out, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Then the river divided and Elisha went across. I've given this message a title this morning of Jordan River Crossing, of Crossing the Jordan Again. And there's some principles in crossing the Jordan again. It could have um, been called crossing, crossing the Jordan, um, just crossing the Jordan again. That's the title I gave it, and that's one I'll stick with. I want to introduce the prophet Elijah this morning. Elijah shows up at a very dark time in Israel's history. Ahab, who was the king, provoked God more than any other king. 1 Kings 16 and 33 says this, Then he set up an Asherah pole. He did more to provoke the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than any other king of Israel before him. Now, Asherah pole is a sacred tree or pole that stood near the Canaanites' religious locations to honor the goddess Asherah. Asherah was the mother goddess and consort of Ai, the chief god of the Canaanites. Asherah poles were made from the trunk of a tree or by carving wooden poles and sometimes decorated branches or carvings. They were usually placed in open-air sanctuaries or near sacred trees. And this provoked God. It was an abomination to God because it was encouraging worship of foreign gods. And Ahab wasn't so much a wicked man as he was more a very, very weak man. He became the pawn of a very crafty, unscrupulous and cruel woman. He fell under the wicked sway of Jezebel's spirit. And Ahab married this woman of Phoenician descent. She immediately set about to work to destroy Israel. That was her plan and that was her goal. She built a temple to Astarte in Jezreel. She built a commune that supported 450 priests of Baal. She built a temple in Samaria. She tore down the altars of Jehovah at Carmel and replaced them with shrines and groves. She tried to turn the people away from God. 
she had a reputation for murder, inequity, and sexual promiscuity. She was eventually thrown from a window and eaten by dogs, if you read the scripture. Some would say she got what was coming to her. She begins to persecute priests and prophets of Jehovah throughout the land with a fury which would be possessed by hell. But here comes Elijah onto the scene. And Elijah encounters some of the most exciting things and times that would take place in all the history of Israel. And after he'd been serving God for five to ten years, he comes across a young man. And God had ordained that this young man would be working with Elijah. And he would spend somewhere in the neighborhood of seven to ten years with Elijah. And a whole lot of learning can be accomplished in that time, in that time frame. If you apply yourself and you come under a leader, a man of God, then a whole lot of learning can be applied. Elisha is a diligent student, and he takes careful notes of everything that Elijah does. He watches his every move. He notices absolutely everything that Elijah does. He took notes. He took notes. You know, it would help us sometimes if we took notes. In the course of time, Elijah is to be taken away from Elisha. And that was the portion of text that we read this morning. But he had influence over Elisha for years. Did you know that influence is a very powerful tool? We all have it. Much of you may think you don't have much influence. You have influence, and we use it every single day. Those around us are being shaped by whatever actions and deposits that we are placing into their lives. Think about that when you're dealing with your children and your grandchildren. We, as we've been bringing our grandchildren along with us to different things and traveling in the cars and everything, we have always tried to influence our grandchildren for good. We, told, we tell them about God, we share Jesus with them. We also share everyday practical things like learning different words and bigger words. And we always played in the, ga- the game in the car, a letter beginning with, you know, and as they came through their years of schooling, we tried to give them bigger letters, bigger, uh, bigger words and bigger words to got to the point where they tried to impress us by finding out bigger words. And would Ayla in particular, she's got that competitive spirit more than, than Grace, her other granddaughter has. And, and she would look and go and find a word that she hoped I wouldn't know the meaning of. But we had an influence on her. We were stretching her, stretching their education, stretching their vocabulary so that they could communicate, communicate better as they get older. So we have influence. I'm the same today that I will be in five years, except for the people I meet and the books I'm going to read. I'll be exactly the same, except for that. And the thing about that is the people I meet and the books I read are going to change me. They're going to change me. That's why when I I go back to my hometown, 
much as they don't recognize me physically because I've changed so much, they don't recognize those that didn't do know me, don't recognize who I am or where I am in my journey with God because I have changed beyond recognition to them. Great people read books and books help you grow. Iron sharpens iron, the Bible talks about. Hang around with thinkers and you'll be a better thinker. Hang around with spiritually hungry hungry people and you'll get hungrier for God. Hang around with positive people and you'll be more positive. Hang around with people who are accomplishing something with their lives and you will too. Hang around with winners and you'll be a better winner. Conversely, hang around with a bunch of complainers and unachievers and you'll get better at that too. My dad used to call it, when I was a boy, you, you fly with the crows, you get shot with the crows. <laughs> it's the same kind of thing. That was kind of talking about getting into bother, but it's a kind of same thing. Fly with the crows, you'll get shot with the crows. Elijah get the most out of his relationship with Elijah, and it would pay great dividends for him in the future. He worked at it, and he paid attention to it. Now, the principles for a Jordan River crossing or a recrossing, that's what I was looking for to start with. It could have been called a recrossing of the Jordan. And the first one of these principles is you may have to go alone. And that's a shock to some people sometimes that you may have to go alone. Second Kings 2 and 12 says, Elisha saw it and cried out, My father, my father, I see the chariots and the charioteers of Israel. And as they disappeared from sight, Elisha tore his clothes in distress. After Elijah had left, he was alone. And he's facing a Jordan River that had been, been crossed just a few hours earlier. He'd crossed it along with Elijah. But the difference now is that he's alone. But he remembered a lesson from his mentor that would help him. Elijah had conveyed to Elisha that there will be times when you'll all be, be by yourself. Folks, sometimes you'll be by yourself in a given situation. Sometimes God's vision, mission, and burden will only be accomplished in solitary places. He could almost hear Elijah telling him not to let the loneliness rattle him. And if Andy's got any aspirations of leadership, I'll tell you sir, right now, leadership can be a lonely place. Sometimes you're alone and sometimes you have to go through things alone. It can be a lonely place. Elijah was God's man. He would face Ahab and the court, royal courts alone. He would watch a brook at Cherith dry up alone. He would have to ask the widow of Zarephath for her last meal alone. He would face death and pray for the, the dead child alone. He would openly rebuke King Ahab alone. He would face the wicked priests of Baal alone. He would mock Baal and the priests alone. He would have to repair the broken down altar alone. He would have to pray for a downpour of fire alone. 
He would have to marshal the people to destroy the prophets of Baal alone. And he would have to pray for rain alone. He would have to face the doubt of a servant who saw through faithless eyes alone. He would run 17 miles to Jezreel while Ahab rode in a chariot alone. He would battle depression under a juniper tree alone. He would be ministered to by angels and the voice of God's direction alone. He was alone when he was ministered to by angels and he heard the voice of God. No matter how you look at it, there's going to be some times in your life when you're willing to face down the calamities of life alone. That's why private prayer is so important. That's why that wrestling in prayer is so important. That's why fasting for a breakthrough is so important. And that's why that meditation in the Word is so important. Because of all these avenues are generally hidden away somewhere from the prying eyes of others. You do it mostly alone. I have been lucky in my life to sit under the ministry of some great men of God in this place. We've had Pastor Cochran, who I regard as my spiritual father, sat under his ministry for years. Now, from my perspective, what Pastor Cochran was all about was purpose. Purpose, son. Purpose. That's what he was all about. Then we had Frank, Frank Smith, Jim's dad. Frank was all about the love of God and sharing the love of God with other people. And we had Bill Welsh in this place as well. Now, I never, Bill was never my pastor, but I sat under his preaching a few times, and he preached one of the best sermons I've ever heard about the jawbone of an ass. What a sermon that was. And that was all about God's plan and purpose and timing for what you need right at that moment in time. There may be a recording somewhere about that. Lorraine might even have the notes for that somewhere. What a preach it was. But Bill's thing, from my perspective, listen to Bill, was the prayer closet. Getting into that prayer closet and that private time with God. And it's when you're in that closet, and I've found that increasingly as I've been getting older, <laughs> maybe something to do age, but as I get older and I'm getting into that closet, in that place with God myself, there's, I find it a great dependence in God, and I'm finding that he speaks to me in there. It's where we can meet God, and suddenly, suddenly it's like there's a point of perfection that God's will and your will and God's presence and your presence and your spirit just joined, and there's a point of perfection there. That's what it feels like to me, and it's a place where you don't wonder about things. You just seem to know them. You just seem to know things. No explanation, you just know it. A place where everything just is. It just is. And we need to understand to reach that point where everything just is and know that that's God, that's where he is, because God is. But it proves one thing in that place where we're alone. One man or one woman can make a difference. You can make a difference in a family, in a school, in a church, in a world for all eternity. 
Because that's what we speak about when we speak from this platform. We're dealing with eternity and eternal issues. We don't do this lightly. Don't ever get backed into a corner and think that just because you're alone, that God's not there. That just because you're alone, that God can't prevail in a situation. When you get weary, exhausted, worn out, just remember this. That when Jesus did that little bit of fish and bread, there was 12 baskets left over. None of us on our own really match up to to much. But when God starts breaking us up, the juice of faith starts to come out of us. When we're broken up that wee bit, the juice of faith comes out of us and it releases the energy for the miraculous. There's an energy, there's a vibration of God that comes out and it releases the miraculous. There's enough in there for the miraculous. The second um, heading I've got this morning is the importance of trade-offs. So Elijah had, le- Elijah had learned that you have to go alone sometimes. He will also learn the importance of trade-offs. Elisha didn't get to this place in life just because he could think about it in his mind. He had to do something about getting somewhere. There had to be some trade-offs he was willing to make in his life. We find the calling of Elisha in 1 Kings 19, 19 to 21. So Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. Wow, I wonder how that felt. That cloak went across his shoulders. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah and said to him, First let me go kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will go with you. Elijah replied, go on back, but think about what I have done to you. So Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plough to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah and his assistant. Talk about burning your bridges. There was no way back once they'd done that. They'd eaten the oxen, they'd they'd cooked them in the plough. There was no way back. But you see... Elisha had been exposed to a mission, a mission of God. And and at times, his times were no different to the times that we live in today. This was a backslidden nation with a religious system totally devoid and bankrupt of spiritual power. Jehovah worship was mixed up with Baal worship, a priesthood that had allowed Israel to be swept up into paganism. But when you hear the call of the mission of God, there suddenly becomes a call that is higher than life itself. He left the farm. He left his family and he had a mantle that had been cast about him. He was the only one who could make a determination as to how valuable that that mantle was going to be with him. If things have a great value... You will leave the farm, the family. The oxen will be sacrificed and the yoke will be burned. Elisha turned his back in everything for the call of God. He turned his back in absolutely everything for the call of God. There were some trade-offs that he was willing to make. 
anointing instead of acceptance. Ostracism instead of inclusion. The miraculous for the mundane. The prophetic over the popular. The dangerous for the comfortable. Sacrifice instead of ease. And God instead of self. Elisha was willing to treat everything he had for a double portion of anointing. But there's something that you need to know about trade-offs. When you make them, you may not know the value of it until well into the future. But you need to go ahead and make that trade. God has incredible amounts of purpose and anointing that will never be grasped and realized until you make that trade. Philippians 2 and 5 says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Some said, you must have the mind of Christ. The next heading that I saw in this passage was, resist the urge to quit. The Jordan River, I'm resisting the urge to quit. <laughs> the Jordan River crossing principles tells us that we will have to work alone, alone that we will have to make some trade-offs. Also, that we have to resist the urge to give up and quit. Whatever you have to do, resist the temptation to give in. Just because you have a mantle and have made some trade-offs and have been taught a course by one of God's great prophets doesn't grant you immunity from obstacles. Obstacles are still going to come in front of you. I remember when I first got saved, I thought, that's it. I'll never have another problem in my life. <laughs> and it was good for a wee while. <laughs> and it seemed like that for a week or two. <laughs> but then the reality of living in this world hits you. Rivers will still confront you. Skeptics will still laugh at you, and some of them might be in your own family. Enemies will still mock you. Your own moods and whims will still try to destroy you. Get beyond the fact, the fact of throwing in the towel. It's not an option. Years ago, Pastor Jim and I went to a leaders meeting, and it was this group came to talk to it, and they, and they weren't Christians, but they'd been and, and to the North Pole. They were walking to the North Pole, and they came back, and they, they talked to us about how it was achieved, etc. But one of the things they spoke about was keep, just keep walking. Just keep walking. They had to walk, or they would die, basically. There were situations where if they stopped walking, they would die. And as they were in their tents at night, they'd get special mugs printed that said in the bottom, just keep walking, so that when the person across was drinking their tea in the tent, that's what you saw. Just keep walking. Just keep walking. God's saying to you this morning, just keep walking. Stand up like a servant of the Most High God and persist. That's some quotes there. I'll just leave them. What if Elijah would have thrown in the till and given in to the thought of quitting? There's 17 miracles that would never have taken place. The miracle are summed up this way, the Jordan River crossing, the salt-healed waters, the avenging bears, the valley of ditches, a pot of oil, a great woman, a resurrected child, meal-healed pottage, 20 loaves of barley, naming the man who was a leper, a wayward servant, a floating axe head, eyes that could suddenly see, sightless eyes, a great famine and four lepers, the Shunammite returns and the death of a king. There are too many miracles ahead of you to give up. 
Just keep walking. This is my last point. The band can come back up now. The last point is keep your grip on the mantle. The last Jordan River crossing principle means you have to keep a real good tight grip on the mantle. You see, the mantle is tied to the prophetic and to the past. The past and the prophetic will always be entwined in the makeup of the mantle. And as a church, as a faith, as a movement, if we ever forsake the past, we'll forfeit the prophetic. We need to understand where we came from, what we were grounded on, what we believe, so that we can keep a hold of that mantle. There was so much wrapped up in that mantle. It was one of those graphic life-changing moments, one of devotion to Elijah, one of separation for Elisha, one of hardship and peril, one of great victory and nobility, one of special privilege and power. Look back to the places in your life where the mantle fell on you. I'm remembering myself hearing God's call to serve. What a privilege. What a privilege to serve Him. And He called you to serve, to worship, to prayer, to conversation. Imagine being called into conversation with Almighty God. To sacrifice. It can be something that's just handled carelessly it must be treasured you've got to hold it as if you're holding a treasure it must be handled with great care so as I finish I'd say to you today and I urge you to take that mantle that God has given to you and use it to the capacity that God has called you to and that capacity is greater than you think it is. Because when you grow and move with God, that capacity gets bigger all the time. So take your mantle and go on with God. Amen. Thank you.